listening to the longest psalm in the Bible. Some people, if you want to call it a chapter, it's interesting. It's right in the middle of the Bible. And it's uh, 176 verses long. And in that, it talks about the word and all, or some derivative of the word in all the verses except two. And so right in the middle of the Bible, we have a, a psalm extolling the word of God. Now, this psalm, I was going to just uh, kind of glance over it and whatever, but the more I looked at it, the more I see that we really need to go through it. Um, uh, Spurgeon wrote over 500 pages on it. Uh, there was a man named Manton. I read his book on Luther. It was very good. He's a historian, but he's also a commentator. And he wrote a, a just on one psalm. He's written a commentary of over a thousand pages on this one psalm. Uh, we call it the ABCs of a happy life because it is an acrostic. Uh, it has 22 sections of eight verses. And each one of those eight verses, uh, Aleph, Beth, uh, and so forth, uh, whatever you see them in most of your Bibles, um, at the heading of each of the sections, that those are the names of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet. And so you have 22 of them, and each one of them, Aleph begins with all A's or Aleph or whatever, Beth begins with all B's. Uh, each, one of the, each one of the verses begins with each B right on down through 22. Uh, it's amazing. It's, uh, you know, of course, the Word of God is quick and sharp, uh, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of, of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, in saying that, we see then the word, this word, and many people believe this was written uh, after the Babylonian captivity, uh, especially when the word was neglected, and now they're putting a great emphasis on it. Some people believe, and of course, a lot of older um, commentators like Spurgeon and others uh, think that David wrote it. But uh, we don't know because uh, it doesn't say. And there's no reason to fight over it because if the Lord really wanted us to know, he would have put it up there like he did others. And so, but it does have indications, to me anyway, that it was written uh, most likely after the, uh, after the uh, coming back from the captivity. And so um, the emphasis on the, is also the vital ministry of the Word of God. Uh, it's a, we say it's a divider of the soul and spirit. Now, there's a big difference between uh, the Bible and its counsel and the wonderful counselor and human counseling. Human counseling, all we can do is reach the soul, but God reaches the spirit. And where do they divide them? Tell me. That's the reason the Bible says he's the one who be, is able to divide between the soul and spirit. Most of us can't or all of us can't, uh, just like with the joints and marrow. From what I understand, uh, you really can't tell where, they, where they're, the sinews or whatever becomes bone or what, I don't know. There was a big argument about all that. I'm not a doctor, so I don't want to go too deep into that. But again, some of the different uh, um, things that happen in the body that are just uh, where, do, where does one end and the other begin. So we see that uh, the Bible tells us, though, 
that he is a discerner. He is the counselor. He is the one who reaches the deepest recesses of the heart. And so uh, I still go back to, I haven't looked at her, her, any of her material in the last couple of months, but uh, so I'm always afraid when I don't, but uh, Rosario Butterfield, how that she was a leading women's feminist in an Ivy League school and uh, wrote a lot of books on feminism and um, homosexuality and everything else, being very pro for it, a pro about it, until she was introduced to the Word of God and she started reading it for herself. And she read it uh, since she was an English uh, person. She read, um, she read it in the, by volume. I mean, she just read the book by book. And it started changing her life. And today she's one of the leading advocates for women against all this transgender and, and everything else and uh, what true femininity and what true feminism is. And uh, she's just got a tremendous testimony. And it, she says, and her testimony is, it's the word of God which changes your heart. And I, she's, if you ever want to look her up, her name is Rosario Butterfield. And uh, she has some tremendous testimonies about what God's done. It cost her everything. Uh, it cost her her job in an Ivy League school and everything else because of her coming out against the very things that at one time she had advocated. But it's the word which changes hearts. It's the word of God which is, which is living and powerful. There's a difference between what we hear today about living word of God and living constitution and the living word of God. We know the living word of God is God. Why? Because the Bible tells us. So he's living and he expresses himself. He tells us who he is by his word. When people use that term today in the living constitution, they're saying it, may, whatever it means, it means in my mind. And as long as it's very fluid and we can make it mean whatever we want to in our minds. If I can convince you, then and if I could really uh, dupe the... Um, the populist, then we can change it to, we can make it sound like whatever we want it to sound like. And that's not what the living word is, or what the constitution is. The constitution is a document, and to properly interpret it, we must go back to the original intent. In other words, what were the, what were the people saying when they wrote it? Now, that's exactly what we do in the Bible. What was God saying to David? What was God saying to Matthew or whatever else? Um, and then from there, we might get some inferences and judgments. But at the same time, you go back to what did God say? Why did he say it? When did he say it? And to whom did he say it? And you get the interpretation from that the same way that we go back to the Constitution. Uh, and do that. And we want the original intent before we can go any, any place else. But the Word of God is quick and powerful. And, it, uh, and God never changes. And so, um, so we see now that the first three verses of uh, Psalm 119 are Beatitudes. What's the Beatitude? The ones, the verses that begin with blessed. In other words, you're going to be happy if you do this. Blessed are the uh, poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God. Those are the Lord's Beatitudes. But we see the three, first three verses are Beatitudes spoken to everyone. Um, the rest of the psalm describes God, how God reveals himself through his word. Uh, the psalmist as uh, an acrostic. We talked about that. There's uh, 22 sections of eight verses apiece. Uh, the first word of each uh, of section begins with the corresponding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
and um, Alpha, Beth, and so forth. Um, there are eight synonyms for the Word of God in uh, the book or in the, the psalm. There's every psalm except Psalm 1, uh, verse 122 and 132 mentions the Word of God. Now that is phenomenal out of 100, 174 verses of talking about the Word of God. Now, in doing this, he is not worshiping a word or the Bible. He's not putting it up as a shield, you know, and you hear things about uh, how that the bullet went through it and got to a certain verse or whatever, uh, or that people hold the Bible up and they worship the word. No, that's, we're talking about, that we, we're talking about when God talks about the word, he's talking about his revelation to us. And so it's re, his revealed word. Um, in the beginning was the word, logos, the thought structure of God. Cosmos is the, of course, we talk about the structure of the universe. But it's, in the beginning was God's thoughts. Um, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh, Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. So we see that the Bible is living in the fact not because it's changing and we can make it say whatever we want it to say, but because it's a person. It's, and he reveals himself through his word. And so, or he's a person, not it's a person. So we see then that there's, there's eight, um, excuse me, did I, I left, I said eight, uh, I skipped one here. But uh, the law um, teaches, oh, I have to go back and get that. But the law is uh, the teacher to, to, to direct. Uh, and this, the word law is not just talking about the Pentateuch uh, and the law and the prophets, but it is also used in the case of um, revelation. And so, when God reveals himself through his word, then this was the law. And it's used 25 times in the book. Uh, the, word, uh, spo uh, the, wor the word, in one sense, there's two different terms for word uh, or two different uh, Hebrew words. The first one is his revealed word, his spoken word. Deuteronomy 8.3, of course, says uh, that... Um, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So it's the spoken word. And of course, it's the revealed word and it's the written word that God revealed to man. And it's used 24 times. The judgments of God are used 23 times. And the word judge is the idea of regulate or to determine what is right or wrong and decide accordingly. The testimonies of the Lord uh, are also the testimonies uh, deal with uh, God's loyalty. I mean, God, you've, you've shown yourself to be real to us in the past. And so it's the testimonies of the Lord uh, with Israel. And it's uh, 23 times. The commandments of the Lord are, of course, emphasizes the fact that God has a right to command. He's a right, this is authority. And that's 22 times. The precepts of the Lord are... Um, the one I left out is statutes, I see there now. So um, the uh, precepts of the Lord are 
uh, or the idea of of detail of what is he meaning what what exactly is he meaning in this situation and so that is used 21 times uh, statutes are rules of course and uh, guidelines city statutes city ordinances things like that but uh, but then precepts is um, the idea of uh, details and then the word the other word that we have here's a different hebrew word and i could say i'm speaking words to you or here's my word and i write it down or he spoke a word to somebody the other thing is i give you my word what am i meaning by that integrity is the idea of god's word both his revelation as well as his integrity and so that's the term here that we have. And then the one I left out was statutes. Uh, so we see it's a very lengthy in introduction, but it really uh, starts bringing it to for just how in 176 verses, and all of them are a passionate plea to obey, to, uh, to really get into the word. Uh, Let the word of God dwell in you richly, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.16. And so we see it's the word of God which changes our lives. It's the word of God which we want to dwell in us because it's the one that not only changes our psychology, but it changes our spirit. And where does one end and the other begin? The big difference between animals and man is we have a spirit. God believed into us a spirit. And so... Uh, and yet it's so difficult and psychologists cannot separate soul from spirit, but God does. And so we see that uh, uh, they could apply, they could talk about our soul. Our soul is thinking, thinking patterns. But what is behind that? There's something in the heart. There's something in man that makes him different than any other animal. It makes him different than any other being except angels. And so we have a spiritual quality about us. And the one thing that uh, I'm finding is I could talk to people all day long about what they need to do, what they don't need to do. We could try to talk sense into people, but until God changes their spirit, their thoughts, life, that really doesn't change. Right? I mean, that's the one thing I'm, I'm talking to one of my sons about now, is he's really into, well, Dad, I want it. Boy, people are just, you know, and he's got all these things that he thinks that... Uh, but um, say, and one thing I need to talk to him now about is, you know, have you prayed for him? It's, you know, we could talk all day to somebody. I could preach all day to someone. And yet until God works in that heart, until God does it, I can, I'm just, you know, I'm beating my head against the wall until God changes the heart. You know, there again, the natural man receives not the things of God. For their foolishness to him, because we discern them how? By his spirit. And so we want to see the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of people. That's why uh, uh, we can talk to our unsaved loved ones all we want to and give them all the great knowledge we have about uh, life. And yet until God deals in that heart, until God deals in that spirit, there's no changing. And so we want to see the spiritual awakening of Belvedere and Boone County. We want to see God working in the hearts of people. 
you know, not by might nor by uh, power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so we see that it's the word of God which changes. It's the word of God which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces. That's the reason people don't like it. People will love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they don't want anything to pierce that darkness because they are enslaved to it. As we saw Sunday morning, they're driven into it. They're captivated by it. They don't want to let it go. Even though they're searching and although they're, they, are, they are dead in their trespasses and sin, they can't until the Holy Spirit works in their lives and they see the light of God, will they, never, will they ever truly understand? And so in saying that, then we want to pray that God will work in the hearts and lives and spirits of people. Now, in saying that, we want to look at the first two sections today. And we look at the first three verses. Those are the Beatitudes. He says in the, the section of Aleph, or A, he says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his, his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. So here we see the characteristics of a happy person. You know, blessed are the undefiled in the way. Now, how are we undefiled in the way? Because it's the word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So when the word of God applies to the heart of God and we allow the word of God to cleanse us, then we are undefiled in the way. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be what? White as snow, undefiled. In other words, to us, if any man can, uh, um, if any man um, sins, let him, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, there again, undefiled. If you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, guess what? You're undefiled. Now, of course, you, we still, we know we have sin in our lives until we see the Lord face to face. But what he's talking about here is that idea that there's nothing consciously in my mind or in my heart that is that is keeping me from walking with God. As far as I know, Lord, my sins are forgiven. Uh, yes, there's things that I dread. I wish I'd never done. I don't want to think about them, but you tell me they're under the blood uh, and you've forgiven me and you've washed me from all unrighteousness, even the things that I don't even think about right now. And so that's the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And don't you want to walk like that all the time? That is... That is short accounts with the Lord. That's why I love what Dr. Walt Fremont used to say. Keep short accounts with the Lord. I mean, don't let them pile up. Don't let interest, don't let the interest start coming in. But keep those short accounts with the Lord and be sure that, uh, you know, that we walk with the Lord undefiled in his ways who walk within the boundaries, within the law of the Lord. And so we see the foundations of a joyful life. You know, one thing that we must realize is that, you know, people say, well, if you're that pure, then you're going to be naive. And you raise your kids like that, and they're really going to be naive. But uh, that's just the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says you'll be happy 
if you learn how to apply the, the Bible and the Word of God and, of course, the Spirit of God to your life. Uh, you know, folks, um, I wanted my kids, and as far as I know, they have, and they're pretty happy, and a happy group of kids, I guess. They got their problems like anybody else. But, uh, yeah, I've never worried about my kids uh, being on drugs. You know, but I've dealt with scores of parents who are just dreading their kids being on drugs. And you have too. Uh, we get to, uh, but I don't want to go into a lot of things thinking I'm so much better. Because, but by the grace of God, I you know, by the grace of God, you know, I'd be there too. So I'm not downing it. I'm just saying that, uh, but I don't think my kids, I tried my best as a pastor or as a father to really be in a position to expose my kids to right from wrong without them getting into right and wrong. In other words, I could teach them that smoking was wrong without them smoking. Could I not? You know, things like, I could teach them that uh, that uh, adultery was wrong without, I hope, you know, going into that type of stuff. And so there again, we teach it. And what happens is they start perceiving right from wrong. And then whenever they, they're growing, they see the testimonies of others as far as what their lives are like. Well, I'd rather learn them by, teach them by observation and not saying, oh, look at that person, they're sinner or whatever. But because when they come to me, I love it. Uh, each one of my kids in different, when our private conversations have come to me at one time or another. And when they get up to 18, 19, 20 years old, and they'll say, dad, you know, the crazy thing about, about uh, adults is they still act, act like teenagers. I go, duh, you know, there again, praise the you know, I didn't tell each one of my kids that. But you know, Dad, I'm working with people that are older than me and they act young. There again, they are discerning right from wrong. Now, are they naive in certain things? Probably. But they'll learn. They're quick learners. You don't have to... to uh, you don't have to try it to like it or not or whatever, you know, those type things. Uh, in fact, you'll find out a lot of times uh, that it's uh, so many people and they're like, oh, I wish I could X that out of my life. Yes, I've learned, but it's a very worldly uh, learning process. A, a very, I'm worldly wise, but experience, what is it? experience is the best teacher, but it's the most severe teacher. I mean, so there's, it's a whole lot better to learn from the experience of others sometimes than it is to learn on our own. And so again, we see that, but there again, because, simply because we're uh, undefiled doesn't mean that you're going around spraying Lysol in the, in the air all over the place. You love it whenever your kids uh, start realizing, hey, uh, you know, I, we don't do things like that. And I think we're better off by not doing it. And that's in their own mind rather than because they're seeing other kids or other people as they get older doing things that they don't want to do. Well, that's what you want rather than, oh man, we got to do it so I can be worldly wise and I got to go out and, you know, sow my wild oats and all that kind of stuff. And so again, it's just like what we saw in Deuteronomy and what we saw last week. God is for me. He's not against me. He's for me. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be, uh, to be successful. God wants me to walk with him. Uh, what is it uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, 
wrote about the, uh, oh, I think it's the, the catechism, where it says, what is the purpose of life? That is to know God and enjoy him forever. And so I want to enjoy God. And that's why God, well, he wants to walk with us. What did he do with uh, Adam and Eve? He walked with them and talked with them every day in the garden and, uh, until they sinned. And then what did they do? They ran from it. And so God made us to have fellowship with him. So the very, the very foundations of a joyful life is in learning how to walk with God. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his goodwill, he abides with us still and with all those who will trust and obey. His, his, he says his commandments are not burdensome. They're beneficial. I put these things out here because I want you to know what's good for your life. And so, so it is. I, don't, I didn't teach my kids all my, the, oh, you know, that, boy, if you don't do it, you're going to get a double whammy. You know, because sooner or later, they're going to leave, you know, they got to decide on their own. Uh, I didn't want them to always have to fear daddy. He's going to, you know, really beat him after death or whatever. No, I didn't want that. I wanted, you know, my joy. And of course, that, again, when you talk about your kids, you, you know, people, oh, you just think your kids are perfect. No, I know my kids weren't perfect. And they had a daddy that was terribly unperfect. But you know, there again, uh, I'm just saying that what I tried to do. But is anybody here undefiled? We're all defiled in some way or another because we walk in a defiled world. So how do we, how do we stay sanctified? Sanctify them through thy truth, thy Word is truth. So the only way that we can stay clean is through the word of God. John 17, 17, that's what the Lord said about the word is truth. And so we see that uh, the foundations of a joyful life then is learning how to walk with God. Uh, and he says now, he says, uh, first of all, in the way. And by the way, but excuse me, remember the Lord said, I am what? The way the truth, the life. Early Christians, we saw in the book of Acts, were not called Christians, or they, or they, were, they said they walked in the way. They, they didn't call them Christians, they said they're, they're people of the way. And so of course Christianity, or Christians, uh, the term Christian um, became more prevalent later on. But the way was the idea of a, a person who walked with God, or was a, was a Christian. And so we say, he says, the way of the Lord is undefiled. And he says, who walk? Now, remember what a walk is? A walk is a lifestyle. When you can put one foot in front of another, you don't even have to look down, but you can just walk with one, with a timing and a gait and everything else. Uh, that is a habit. That's a lifestyle. You don't even think about it. Well, that's what you want to get with God. You want to get to the point that you just do things not because, oh man, I got these 10 things I got to do or boy, we got 20 uh, Calvary Baptists, no, 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 none of that. It's the idea of, I'm just in a habit. This is what I do. Boy, what a lifestyle of just walking in the way of the Lord and in the law of the Lord. So we, here we see two things, right? Off the bat, we see uh, the idea of uh, um, and defile in the way than the law of the Lord. In verse two, we see this testimonies. He says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. And there again, what he's done for others, he can do for you. 
what he did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he could do for you. And so we keep, I mean, and he's the same God. He promises he changes not that Abraham prayed to, that I prayed to. Now that's phenomenal. Uh, who am I to go to before the Lord? I, yeah, who am I to go before the Lord? Other than the fact that I'm just, uh, God promised me he'll talk to me just like he did anybody, you name the person. And we put them up so high that we don't even think we could reach them humanly. But God stoops down to our low estate and talks to us. And so blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him, there it is, with a whole heart, undivided, uh, really wanting him with it all. Um, and so it just uh, you know, there again, I've given it uh, whatever um, I've talked to uh, marriage or whatever. Um, tell you what, let's uh, come up with an idea, prenuptial agreement. And that is, honey, uh, for 364 days a year, we're gonna, I'm going to be really faithful to you. But I'm going I'm to ask you for one day a year that I can go out and just really do whatever I want to do. What do you think my wife would have said? Get lost, Buster. <laughs> right? Why? Because it wasn't my old heart. I was reserving something for whatever. I, I never asked her that. I knew better. <laughs> but, you know, there, but there again, she knew that better about me too. I mean, this is one of those things that, hey, listen, it's all or nothing. All or nothing. And so a whole heart, Lord, I'll, you know, it's not, well, Lord, you can have this part of my life, but this is my part. But no, Lord, it's everything, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, it's all to your glory. So it's with a whole heart that I seek the Lord. They also do no iniquity. And there again, the idea of, uh, of an, uh, iniquity uh, is uh, the idea, of course, of uh, twisted thinking. So I'm not thinking wrong, but they walk in his ways. And so then we see that he says uh, in verse four, we see the, the focus of a joyful life through the rest of the, this first, they call them strophes, S-T-R-O-P-H-E. In the theological books, I think it's a, a paragraph or whatever. But um, we see that he says um, in verse four, you have commanded us to keep your precepts. Okay, that's the detailed things diligently. So first of all, I want to be diligent in my attention to details. I take up my cross weekly and follow the Lord. Is that what it says? I take up my cross yearly and follow the Lord. No, I take up my cross how often? Daily and follow the Lord. So I keep his precepts daily and all my ways were directed. So notice they are diligent. They are directed to keep his statutes. And the statutes are the guidelines. And then verse six, he says, um, then I would not be ashamed when I look into your commandments. So he's determined. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be on the wrong side. And so I definitely uh, want to have an attitude of obedience because I don't want to be ashamed by not knowing your commandments and not doing them. So I'm determined to know what you want 
and know how you want me to do them because I don't want to be ashamed. And so, uh, of course, he's really, you think about it, uh, when you stand before the Lord, before the Lord, we want him to say, well done and good and faithful servant, don't we? We don't want to be ashamed when we pass into his presence. And so he says, I will not be ashamed when I look into your commandments, when I, when I uh, look into your commandments. Uh, verse seven, I will praise you with an uprightness of heart when I learn of your judgments. So notice he's focused. I'm going to praise you because I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn about you. And I am determined I'm going to keep your statutes. So notice how many times these, these uh, synonyms for the word, uh, for the Bible, um, are turned over and over in his mind. In verse uh, 8, we see that almost a desperation. Uh, I don't want to lose that closeness with you. You ever, have, uh, you ever have a time of devotions, and it really bothered me when it happens in the morning, but you have a time of devotions and it's really going so good and you don't want to leave it, but you got to go to work or whatever else. As he smiles, that's great. But, oh, I don't want, oh, this is just so good. Or, you know, people don't want to leave church sometimes or whatever. That is fantastic. But we have to. But Lord, you know, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. So again, Lord, just keep me closer to the cross. Keep me close to you. I, I don't want to leave it. I don't want to be out there and feel... Um, like, uh, you know, you've, you've forsaken me utterly. I, I don't want to miss you, Lord. I want to feel like you're right there with me. That's a, that's a good appetite, isn't it? That's a good desire when you miss the Lord. I love it when people say, you know, Pastor, I miss Sunday. And oh man, did I miss Sunday. I think it was one Wednesday night a few weeks ago that we missed. And oh, I really missed, that's great. We want to have those appetites, do we not? I don't want to get to the point, and I'm praying, I'm one of the men that I'm counseling with now, his greatest fear is, you know, I've got this desire, I want to know the word of God, and so forth. And I'll be talking to him tomorrow night. But he says, I'm so afraid that I'm going to go back in my old ways. Well, that's, hey, this is the idea. I want to keep going forward for the Lord. And so now what's going to happen in the Psalm 119 is you're going to see that he's going to go through different situations. He's going to go through dangers. He's going to go through heartache. And he's going to talk about these different things in his life. And he always comes back to the Word. And he, he just weaves the Word of God into all the different uh, challenges in life. And that's what makes this uh, psalm so rich, is how many ways that he could apply, apply the Word of God to every little detail of life. And how that he could turn the terms like testimony, statutes, and all that into something that is a blessing. And so we see that uh, in Aleph, then, we see that there's a real desire. There's a desperation. Uh, I mean, I got to have it. Just got to have it. I want that fellowship with God. Now, if this was written uh, after the Babylonian captivity, it would have meant that this was written probably after uh, the people had started reading the Bible and Ezra was uh, reading it to them. And they fell down and they, they cried because they had not heard it for decades. And they were hungry for it. And of course, if you remember uh, Nehemiah, after they, when they read, read it at the completed gate, at the completed wall, 
then uh, they were crying so much because the more he read it and explained it to them, the more they realized just how much they, they were so far out. But then I love that where the Lord says, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he said it right in the middle of that desperation. Of how far are we away from God? We can get back right with God. Bring, you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is what we're going to see in the very next section. I am determined I'm going to live in the joy of the Lord. And so we see then the word bed, we see the next uh, of the eight strophes or paragraphs begin, all begin with B or Beth or whatever corresponding um, mark that the uh, Hebrew would have. And uh, he says, um, I guess we didn't read the rest of that passage, but let's go ahead and read the whole passage of Beth. Beth is... Uh, is also a word which means house, as in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the house of bread. And so some people have kind of equated this, have you made your heart God's home? You know, is the word of God at home in your life? And so we see, how can, young, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word, with my whole heart, there that is again, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, uh, some, I don't think I told you, but uh, there's uh, two very famous men in history, and there's been several others, that uh, memorized the whole book uh, or the whole uh, Psalm 119. And it, they changed the attitude of history of the world. One was an uh, Englishman by the name of, of uh, William Wilberforce. And he was one of the major uh, politicians in um, England who brought uh, about the abolition of, of slavery. And of course, if you've ever heard, or he's very famous in, in the, but he was one of the prime movers of the abolition of slavery. And of course, a lot of his teachings and a lot of things he did uh, filtered over into the United States too. And the attitudes changed the whole idea of slavery. And then the, another man, and there have been several, uh, that memorized all of uh, Psalm 119 was the great missionary um, Livingston. And so, um, I'm okay, I just uh, forget his, David Livingston. And so, uh, again, he was a missionary to Africa. He was a missionary that uh, when he left, uh, when he died in Africa, they wanted, they were going to take his body back to England and bury it. And it is buried in uh, uh, Westminster Abbey. But the natives cut out his heart and buried it in Africa. And they said, you can have, his body may belong to England, but his heart belongs in Africa. I mean, but that was a testament. It wasn't a, a, a wasn't a, you know, a, a devilish thing they did. It was the idea that, we, you know, we want a memorial of what this man did for us. And so, uh, yes, he was a, so these people memorized 
the entire book. I've got a friend named uh, in, in, uh, in Michigan that uh, um, he has a friend. Uh, he was telling me that they, they were memorizing the uh, whole book of, he's a pastor friend that memorized the whole uh, book of one, or the whole Psalm of 119. That's a lot because when you get into those, all those statutes and all eight of those terms and you get them all turned around, uh, that uh, must be a pattern to it or something. But um, so we see how, so the first question is, uh, how do I make my heart God's home? How do I, how do I make God feel comfortable in my home or in his home, my heart? And so we see, how does a man cleanse his way? How do you cleanse your way? By taking heed to the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. No other way. And so uh, it's, uh, we see it's the, it's the living word that changes our hearts. And so um, we see that, first of all, you gotta be saved by accepting his word and taking him at his word. Tis, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Without faith, it is impossible, impossible, impossible to believe him, to please him. For they that come into God must believe that he, he is, he is who he says he is, and that he is a, reward, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so how do we cleanse our way? By taking heed to his word. And so I, I know I'm saved, why? Because these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John tells me that the things that he wrote to me were for me to know that I have eternal life. Of course, he was written as the inspiration of God. And so how can, do I have to hope that I'm saved? No, I know I'm saved because Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I've obeyed his word when he said, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I've entered into that rest, and I hope each one of you have too. It's free to all, a living stream. And so you can have it also. Uh, but it, you come on his terms, not yours. Just as I am without one plea, that's whole heart. Well, Lord, uh, if you do this, I'll do that. No, it's, it's total submission to God, unconditional surrender. So he says, how can a man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to his word. With my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, let me not wonder, so keep my mind on the word of God. May I not wonder from your precepts. And then he says, um, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I call that, uh, uh, and this is, is a, planned, a planned preparation or memorized preparation. So you're memorizing it and you got a trigger. We keep hearing these trigger things and I hate, a lot of, these, a lot of people are triggered today. If you disagree with them, then you are a racist, bigot, homophobe, or you are a conspiracy. I mean, they don't even have to think. They just know that if it doesn't sound right, you are the problem. They don't, want, they don't even want to discuss things. Well, uh, I want trigger mechanisms in my mind that when God 
when I see something, then there's a, a verse that comes to my mind or a radar that goes off or something where I want to know what God wants. Now, that doesn't mean I go around walking into my Bible. Oh, wait a minute, we can't make a decision. No, I can't. You know, that, so you gotta, have it, you gotta have it in your mind. Have you ever had times when just a verse comes to you during trial or song or whatever? We've talked about that many times. We want God to be in our hearts, a memorized preparation so that uh, God can, the Holy Spirit can call back things that we've learned in the time of temptation. So thy word, by the whole heart, you know, I've hidden your word in my heart. It's not enough just to hear it, but I want to know it in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I've just determined I'm going to know your ways. I'm desperate to stay close to you. And so, Lord, keep me close to you. And so with my whole heart, I don't want to wonder. He says, oh, not, let me not wonder from your commandments. There again is that uh, not only a preparation, but uh, that desperation. Oh, Lord, don't let me leave. You know, that goes back to verse eight. He says, your word have I had in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are, and then he goes into some, notice the I wills here. Notice what will I do? You notice all the things that he says, either I did or I will. In verse um, 12, he said, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. So first of all, I want to be hungry. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. So in the past, I've talked about you, Lord, and I want to keep doing it. And so uh, um, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony. So I've worshipped you, and by experience, I know you as much in all riches. I really value those times. I look back on them as some of the great times of my life. I will meditate on your precepts. So I want to know your, the exact word of God. I want to know exa your exact will, your perfect will. So I want to meditate on your precepts. And I'm going to contemplate. I'm going to think about this. And that goes back to uh, meditations that, we, that uh, we see earlier. He says, I want to contemplate. I want to meditate on your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will. You mean, I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to be happy in them. Delight thyself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37. There again, the idea of, you know, if, if you will delight yourself in God, he will change your desires. I'm going to delight, delight myself in the Lord so he'll give me a brand new car. No. He'll change your want to her to make you want the things he wants. He'll give you the desires of your heart, of his heart. And so, again, I will delight myself uh, in your statutes. I will not forget your words. Notice the desperation, the dedication that he, all, that he has here. I'm going to meditate in your statutes. I'm going to think about them. I'm going to contemplate them because I'm just going to keep turning them over in my mind because... Well, I really want to be walking with the Lord. And that's the way of happiness. Wait a minute. You mean I can't do this or can't do that? No, you do things in the light of what you know for the Lord. Marriage is going to be happier. Work is going to be better. Friendships are going to be better. Church going is going to be better. Shop 
almost said shoplifting. No, shopping will be better. <laughs> no, uh, uh, better be careful with that one. But, uh, you know, everything's going to be better in life. You know, the one thing I, that really sold me on Christianity as a teenager, and boy, I did not come from a perfect youth group, but I came from a, a, an unsafe family or an un, unchurched family. And I remember as a junior high teenager when I was invited to go to church, and boy, I was surprised. I had a blast. And I went home, and I was thinking, you know, I had the, some of the best times of my life and I don't even have to hide it from my parents. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, this is different, you know, because some of the things my brother and I, we were always kind of hiding things from my parents. Not Nothing, I mean, we didn't get in trouble with cops and all, but just always those little things. But all of a sudden I was doing things and I liked doing them. It was a joy, it was a joy to, to be with people who weren't always running, you know, worrying about getting in trouble. And so it is, Lord, I want to be that way with you. I don't want it to be, oh man, I hope the people at church don't learn about this. Oh, I hope that, you know, uh, Rob up there doesn't learn about what I've done. No, I, you know, there again, you know, boy, if those people at church ever find out what I, you know, no, I don't, but there again, if they do, we're all sinners saved by grace. And so we learn how to put up with each other and love overcomes a multitude of sins. But at the same time, uh, I want to be the one that overcomes the multitude of sins rather than be the one that has to have people overcome my sins. You don't understand what I'm saying. Oh my, it's already eight o'clock so, or seven o'clock. So I've had a, there again, I get into this meditation mode with you people and time flies, but I hope it's been good for you. Any questions or comments about what we looked at tonight? <laughs>